Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome back to Listen with Leah. This is the second episode in my leadership series. Last time I spoke with Brandy Emerson who talked about leadership within the workplace and in an organization. And today I will be speaking with two young women who have a very demanding leadership roles within their school. Ruthie Zola and Ellie Small are both very close friends of mine and having worked with them and having seen them in positions of leadership, I know that their skills and demeanor are far more advanced than what you would expect of their biological ages. And I can say that I have learned a lot from these two outside of this podcast. And it was extremely interesting to hear more about what goes through their heads within their leadership positions. So without further ado, I will now be introducing Ruthie Zola and Ellie Small. I'm here now with Ruthie and Ellie. How are you guys today? We're great. Awesome. So we'll hop right into it. Can you guys just start a little bit by talking about some of your leadership roles, what qualifications you have? Ruthie, I'll start with you. Yeah, so I am the senior class co-president, a term that I coined myself after I felt like power needed to be more evenly distributed. And um, I'm also one of the co-leaders of Equity Club, and I'm a leader at my coffee shop, even though I'm just a barista. So I'm just a leader in many different aspects. I'd say. Um, and my name is Ellie, and I am the all school president at the Dairyfield School. With Ruthie, I am the head of, I'm one of the heads of Equity Club. I'm also the captain of Mock Trial and the captain of our Alpine Ski Team. Um, and I just want to ask you guys how you would describe your leadership style. So, Ellie, we can start with you this time. I am someone who very much likes to try to find consensus in what I'm doing and so I think that working with differing opinions and things like that can be really beneficial Um, but I think that there's a lot of power in working towards a common goal and so I'm definitely a delegator I think that that's one of the more efficient ways to lead sometimes especially when you have big projects that you're trying to get done Um, and so recognizing the strength of others in your group and then delegating to capitalize on those strengths can be really powerful. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm definitely a leader with my heart, and so I think with my heart first and not my head. Um, So I look for people that are more logic and reasoning based to kind of balance me out. Um, But I'm someone that likes to really get to know everyone and get really comfortable and personal with people and build those interpersonal relationships first and then focus on kind of the big picture project at hand or task at hand. Um, And I'm someone that likes to really be conversational and just very interpersonal with people from the start. And then once we establish that trust and kind of that mutual respect and comfortability, then we can get kind of crazy with the big picture in the project. Very nice. So I want to focus in on your role within the school, your leadership kind of role there, and how much authority you have and kind of how this has helped you be able to advocate for the students at the school, but how your level of authority has also kind of been a deterrence. I know you guys work with a lot of faculty, a lot of admin to kind of push stuff through. So how has your level of authority and power impacted what you have been able to get done this year? So I'd say that because we have such a good, um, mutually respectable relationship with administration and with the higher up people, that we're able to get the views of students whose voices are not heard across 
um, in a really good and effective way. But of course, like we're only two people. We're also white, we're straight, we're women. And so we have a lot of privilege in those conversations too. And so I think being mindful of that and kind of finding the balance between not speaking on behalf of people, but being able to truly advocate for people and fight for what we believe in at the same time is something that's really important. But kind of maintaining that professionalism which is something I struggle with which is how Ellie kind of helps balance me out and not letting me get too fiery or too enraged about a certain topic and just kind of staying true and staying civil but at the same time getting our points across and making sure the needs of all the students are met. So both of you mentioned um, working with authority members. I understand that you guys have a pretty good relationship with a lot of the faculty that you work with. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more on how you handle faculty that you don't agree with or people who you just generally don't agree with their viewpoints, their opinions on things? How do you kind of handle that, go about it in a way that's respectful while also kind of getting across what you need to get across? That's an amazing question. It's something I ask myself every single day when I want to explode or get really angry. Um, But I think that ultimately it's about listening and being an active listener and really taking in what the other person has to say and then kind of maneuvering your own point into that so that you're able to kind of be strong and stay true to yourself and what you're trying to communicate while at the same time you know working with the person that's in the higher authority and as a self-proclaimed sass master I do have to rein myself in sometimes and I do have to tell myself like you need to be respectful right now that's the only way that you're going to win or you're gonna get what the students need is to be professional and to be civil and it's a very hard thing to do especially as a woman and when you want to be taken seriously with powerful men or even with powerful women as a young woman it's a skill that is very essential to being a leader and I think the most important thing is that active listening component but also never backing away from what you're trying to do staying true to the mission I completely agree and I think I'll echo what Ruthie said about staying professional within those relationships Um, and I think that I've had experiences especially with male authority figures who who actually have less power, so they have more power than me, but less power than a lot of the um, higher-up people that I've aligned myself with. And so I think that position can be the trickiest for me because especially in my position where I'm meeting with so many faculty members all the time and, and Ruthie and I really have a unique perspective on the school because we get to see a lot of what gets done behind the scenes and also our experience in it experiencing it in real time and so I think that reminding those figures of the knowledge and respectability that you have and the alliances that you have with other people is really important important and and using those for leverage I think that it's hard not to take advantage of those relationships sometimes but if you can find the balance between saying that or even mentioning kind of this relationship that you've had or you've talked about this topic with, you know, this high up administrator before or something like that, it can add a lot of authority to what you're saying. And so I think that even in those moments where you might feel condescended to, if you can maintain your composure in the best way, um, you can still, you can, you can gain that leverage and that power in the dynamic. So you guys have been working a lot 
for advocating a lot of students who maybe don't have a position of power at the school. Has there ever been an instance this year where you've had to go against someone in authority and kind of broadly, what situation would warrant you guys having to go against the wishes of authority? Yes, I'm going to answer your question simply by saying yes, we have had to go against the grain um, a number of times. And ultimately, we've decided that we needed to disagree with administration um, because of morality and because of our moral principles and because we want to be on the right side of history um, in terms of equity and justice and inclusivity for our students. Um, and a situation that I think would warrant, you know, some disagreement is a situation where we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Who are we fighting for? What are we trying to get across? Um, how do we make sure everyone feels safe and comfortable and loved for being exactly who they are at any given moment? I think a situation like that that's ultimately about, again, our morals and what we feel is the right thing to do is a situation where we can say, we don't agree and here's why and let's work with you to figure out a solution where kids are not feeling like they're being left behind or left out or dehumanized um, for their identities. And I think that an area, and I think this is a generational difference as well, but I think often what we come up against is timeline mm -hmm. and and how we want to do things much quicker and because it seems obvious to us but then reminding ourselves that this is obvious maybe for our generation and our belief systems and and this is kind of some of these issues especially of social justice are really our whole lives in a sense and so how how can we get higher up people to see it in the same way that we see it or how can we form a new perspective and understand their viewpoint and why maybe you know for example something has to take so long um and I think that we do that we kind of come at that by really just sharing personal stories and reminding people what happens while we're taking so long so you know is it a situation where a student feels unsafe in the community because of their gender identity okay so while we're waiting to write this policy that student every single day every single minute that they're at school is feeling this torture and that's that's really compelling and so it's not just about you know the legal policy and everything like that like this is a real human being with feelings and emotions um and it's our duty and especially the duty of the school to protect and uplift that student and so how can we get that done the right way and make sure that we don't have fallout from it in the future but also do it as quickly as possible so that that suffering is limited um and you know maybe that starts in baby steps and maybe the action items are more baby steps and so something is more surface level at first and then so that that can can kind of clear up the initial problem but then once we can, once we've dealt with that then we can go into the policy and so i think it just it takes really evaluating the situation for the individual um and trying to share our perspective generationally and both of you have been in positions of leadership i'd say for big portions of your life even if that wasn't formal leadership I think both of you kind of step into informal roles of leadership a lot so how have you learned to advocate for yourself as a leader and in turn advocate for other people um, I want you to talk a little bit about maybe your growth process from when you were younger 
um, to now and how you kind of learn to develop those skills for advocacy and kind of any advice you would give to your younger selves or some other people that may be in your position when you were younger and maybe less experienced in that area? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I'll share with you a story of when I was on the train in Chicago as a young girl, this man approached me and was being very sexual and making remarks and telling me all of the things that he was going to do to me. And the entire train was silent. The whole train, no one spoke up. Everyone sat there. Um, And then finally, this woman, who was also scared herself, came over and sat with me and kept me company the entire train ride and spoke on my behalf to the man and kind of shut him down. And I think that that is the biggest act of leadership um, that I can point to as kind of informal leadership but put in action. And I think leadership doesn't have to be titular or formal or, you know, in response to a big organization or a big event. Leadership is just having the bravery and the courage to stand up and speak up um, when it's the hardest thing you could possibly do. I think that that is leadership um, and I try to emulate that every single day. As a leader and as a human and as a daughter, I try to stand up and speak up when I know no one else will and when I know it's the hardest thing I can do. And I think my growth as a leader comes from that and ultimately comes from those like life experiences where I felt really scared and dehumanized and other people had the courage to protect me and to defend me and I try to emulate that um, with other people as well. I think the biggest area of growth for me has been learning when to learning to pick my battles and what is really worth my time and energy because as I've gotten older and found myself in more leadership roles, it becomes very clear that you can't do everything and also still sustain yourself and your mental health and your well-being. And so I find myself often getting very emotional about some of the things that I really care about. And so, you know, maybe that comes out more Maybe maybe it seems more internal for uh, from an outside perspective, but for me, it, it often feels overwhelming in the leadership work that I do. And so I think that finding ways to recognize that, okay, right now this, this is not what I need to be focusing my time on because I'm not making progress here, which is why I'm getting emotional. And so what where can I redirect my time that will solve the same issue, but maybe I need to come back to it in an hour. Maybe I need to, you know, take a walk or call a friend and talk through it and then come back with a more rational approach to it. Um, I'll, I'll share a story of kind of where some of my social activism started. And so I was at a leadership conference at another school in New Hampshire and a, uh, political activist with a very differing viewpoint from my own came and spoke at this conference um and the session topic was basically this room full of students with very similar beliefs to my own um was asking this person questions and so I it the topic came up um a topic came up that I was very very passionate about and that I felt um was extremely dehumanizing to children and to minority communities and that's some those are issues I feel very strongly about and I was getting so frustrated with this person's responses and the lack of response in the room to what he was saying 
Um, and I, I ended up asking him in a fit of I couldn't find, I stood up and I couldn't find the words to say that I meant to say and that I had prepared in the notes app on my phone. And I ended up asking this person in front of a room of 50 people how he slept at night. And to which the whole room went silent and I was very embarrassed and he said, how dare you say that to me? That's extremely disrespectful. If you can't have this conversation, you can't be here. And it, and it wasn't what I meant to say and I didn't really mean it, um, but it, it came out and it was, it was just pure anger at what he was saying and the dehumanizing beliefs that he held. Um, but it made it so that I shut that conversation down and nobody could have a productive conversation in that room because of what I said. Um, and I, you know, I had a conversation with him afterwards in which I apologized and he, you know, he understood my perspective and, and it was fine. Um, but I have held that with me because of how embarrassing it was for me because it seemed like, you know, I couldn't compose myself and I was playing into the stereotype of a very emotional woman, but, um, it taught me a lot about how emotions, especially in a male-female dynamic, um, can be really polarizing and can really shut a conversation down. And so I try really hard not to let that get the best of me now. I think that's very well said. I um, have spent a lot of time doing things with Ruthie and Ellie, and I obviously witnessed them in many different leadership roles, but it was definitely very interesting for me to be able to learn what's going inside of your heads and how you carry yourself as a leader and how you deal with these situations. So I just want to thank you guys for coming on today. Thanks, thank Leah. You. It's been amazing. <laughs> Listen with Leah. Another special thanks to Ruthie Zola and Ellie Small. I think between them and Brandy, they bring a couple different perspectives, a couple different styles of leadership, and it was just something that was really interesting for me to talk to them about. So I'm very appreciative for getting the time to sit down with them. Next up on Listen with Leah, I will be having an episode about feedback. So tune in next time, and thank you for coming to Listen with Leah.